we give back to you this morning. We honor you. We worship you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we turn to the word today, I want to give you a quick update about where we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and reopening. You may have questions about uh, what the next steps are for Thrive Church. So I want to give you a quick update. As most of you know, for the last 20 plus years, our church has met at a public elementary school. And it's been a, a blessing to be in that space. We've loved the opportunity we've had to even partner with the school district and love on the teachers and the staff at the school. Well, as you can imagine, the school district's focus right now is getting kids back in school. They're, they're not allowing any outside groups to use any of their facilities. And it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. And so as a leadership, we've been praying about and thinking through what could the next steps look like for us as a church. We've looked into possibly even sharing a facility with another church. But with the rise, even this last week of cases uh, with COVID-19, uh, there's just a real reticence um, to, to open up facilities. There, there really are no public facilities, public spaces, meeting halls, or even other churches that are ready to let an outside group come in. And so I know it's just been over three months now that we've been meeting online. And I want to say well done to, to all of you as a congregation, as a church. I keep hearing stories of how our church is loving on each other. And even this idea of reopening, it's good for us to remember that the church has never been closed, that we've never been closed. The church has continued to be the church, that God is still on the move, that he's still working through lives. Uh, and I know this, we miss each other. I miss you. We, we miss the fellowship and the community. And, and that day will come again. We will again soon. I, I, it's, I speak that by faith. Soon we'll be able to gather once again. But for right now, we have to continue in the format that we are online, continuing to love each other through other means and, and connecting through other means. And as, as we move forward, as we discern what God is speaking to us and how he is leading us. In fact, I want to say this, as a, as a pastoral team here at Thrive Church, that's been our heart's cry. It's really echoing what Moses prays in the Old Testament. When he's leading the children of Israel, he says this, God, I don't want to go anywhere that you're not going. I don't want to lead these people any place that your presence isn't going with us, that you're not leading us into. That's been our heart's cry as the pastors uh, over Thrive Church. We want to be in step with what God is saying and doing and where he's leading us. I want to invite you to be a part of that journey in prayer. Would you partner with in prayer with us for our church and for what God has for us? We're going to trust him. We're going to follow his lead, and we know that God has good things in store for us ahead. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for loving each other well. Uh, and, and it is a privilege and an honor to be your pastor. So thank you. Well, let's dive into the word today. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. In fact, the reading today or the, the passage for today's verse uh, for, for today's message, rather, comes right out of our Lectio Divina journal reading from this last week, so you'll probably recognize it. We are in the midst of a series entitled, God Is. God Is. And we've been asking the question over the course of this year, which we are at the halfway mark. 
We are halfway through 2020, and we've been asking this question, who is God? Who is God? It's the work of theology, seeking to discover the heart, the nature, the character, uh, the, the traits, make God who he is. It's so important for us to understand who he is because every other aspect of our lives then falls in line with him. And so as we've been reading through the word, we've been looking at the word of God through this lens, through this question saying, what is this reading? What is this passage? What does the word of God tell us about who God is? Today's message, I'm not going to give it a title. Uh, it's God is, and we're going to fill in the blank. But here's what I want you to do today. As, as you've read this week in your journal reading, uh, or as you listen to this message today, I'm going to encourage you to hop in the chat section and maybe pop in there as you as there's different things that you hear about who God is, fill in that blank and, and share that with us today. I'd love to hear your thoughts and we'd love to hear your thoughts on who you believe God is as he is revealed to you through the passage today. And so you can just hop right into that chat and say, this is what I see. God is and then fill in that blank. We'd be a little more interactive uh, today. One of the things we know about the life and the ministry of Jesus is that he was committed to prayer. In fact, it was one of the, the primary things that we see in the Gospels regarding the life of Jesus. He was fully committed to prayer. He, 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 the Bible says that he withdrew often to quiet places to pray and that time with his father in prayer was an absolute priority for Jesus. There's no way that you can read the Gospels and walk away and say that Jesus wasn't committed to prayer. It was absolutely a cornerstone, an absolute priority for him in his ministry. And out of that, we come to this passage in Luke where Jesus is uh, sitting with his disciples and they ask him this question. They ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And we'll read that here in a second. So, so this passage is written, Luke writes this out of this kind of this teachable moment where Jesus imparts something to the disciples. And that's really the posture I want us to have today as we read and look at this passage today. Jesus, teach us. We want to we learn how to pray just like the disciples asked you to teach them to pray. We want to learn how to pray. And so let's look at this passage together. Luke 11, starting in verse one, we're going to work through all the way to verse 13. It says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose one of you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give up, get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give, give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek 
and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is a great passage of scripture, and uh, I, I just pictured Jesus sitting with the disciples, maybe around a fire or on a on a hillside, and and maybe they're sharing a, a meal together, and 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 the disciples are curious. Jesus, we want to learn how to pray the way that you pray. In fact, we've seen John's disciples. Uh, John John trains his disciples in how to pray. He's taught them how to pray. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? the way that you pray. Now, it's important for us to remember as, as Jewish men and Jewish people that the prayer would have been a, a regular part of their lives. Uh, going to the synagogue and, and going to the temple for the feast, that prayer was not something that was uh, just kind of to their discretion when, when they felt like it. There were actual prayers that were prayed throughout the, the day by those who were part of the Jewish faith. And, um, and, and especially on the Sabbath, there were, there were 18 prayers of blessing that they would pray. And so prayer was a regular part of their lives. What this tells us is that there was something about the way that Jesus prayed, that his prayers were not wrote. They were not just praying prescribed prayers or prayers that uh, had been given by others to just maybe read out of a book. There was something about the way that Jesus prayed that appealed to the disciples and, and they're desirous, they're hungry to say, Jesus, how can we pray the way that you pray? And so he teaches them. He leans in and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. And so the first part of what we see in this passage is this prayer. It's it's not a formula. Rather, it's a pattern or a model. I, I know that for many, they would pray, pray the Lord's Prayer, which this is part of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew, it's, uh, Matthew gives a longer version of the Lord's Prayer, but the original manuscripts uh, actually contained just this short, shortened section. Uh, it's it's speculated that maybe Jesus prayed this uh, prayer or it taught them at a different place. In fact, in Matthew, we, we see that Jesus teach the, teaches the Lord's Prayer in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, so to a multitude of people. But here he's just talking to his disciples. And so uh, it's a reminder that Jesus isn't locked into a certain kind of prayer. It's rather, this is a pattern or a model. And so he, let's just work through it each sentence. He says, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts by focusing on the Father, turning his attention to the glory and the majesty of, of who the Father is. He looks at the authority and the sovereignty and the character and the goodness of God. It's essentially what we've been doing throughout this year is we've focused on those attributes of who God is. Jesus does the same thing here in teaching the disciples to pray. He says, before you dive into the things, the asking and the requests, would you just stop and would you look at who God is? Would you be reminded that he is your father and that he is in heaven? He is outside of this time and space, that he is not limited, that, that he sees things differently. I think one of the things that we, we sometimes get confused about as believers is, is that God is limited by the time that, and the, the, the 
the, the marching of time that we're limited to, that we experience life in moments and this moment will pass and we'll be at another moment. And then the next day or the next, next hour, there's another moment. And, and so life is this series of things that, that happen to us that, that we engage in where God is, is not limited by moments. The Bible says that he is the alpha and the omega. He's present at creation still, and he is present in the future and he is present now. And so he sees things differently. And it's a little hard to wrap our heads around that. That's one of the mysteries of who God is. But to stop and remember that God is not limited, that he doesn't see things the way we do, does something for us. It stops us to, and, and turns our attention and say, God, we, we know that you are in control. We know that you are sovereign. We know that you're not limited. And so we are going to turn our focus to you. In fact, hallowed be your name. You are holy. Your name is worthy of praise. No matter what the circumstances of my life are or what's going on around me, in this moment, you are worthy of praise. I could just spend a whole series of messages on that, but we're going to keep going. He says, give us each day our daily bread. And Jesus knows that we have concerns, that we have needs. You have things that need to be taken care of in our lives. And out of knowing God's goodness and his majesty and, and, and his sovereignty and his character, that God will provide our needs. And here's the thing. God cares about the needs in your life. Right now, whatever is going on in your life, God cares. He absolutely cares. And he's okay with you asking for those needs. That we never have to be sheepish or, or embarrassed or concerned that God's not going to hear. That he's okay when we come to him and say, God, here's the need in my life. And we just make it plain. In fact, what it does is it reveals our dependence on him. That you and I are both dependent on God for everything. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, come to him. Come to the Father and say, God, give us what we need. Give us the provision that we need. Bread is this picture of, of absolute provision, sustenance, the thing that keeps us alive, but it extends more than just food. The bread is a picture of life, that we would have everything we need to live our lives. He goes on to say, forgive our sins, which really is our greater need. More than the stuff, Jesus starts pressing into the heart issues. God, forgive our sins. It's an opportunity here for us to get real and honest with God. That's right. We need to be real and honest with God. You and I both struggle with this. I know we do because we're, we're living in this flesh. It's hard to be honest with God. And I know that because it's hard to be honest with ourselves. See, when we're honest with God, when we come before him and, and we say, God, here's, here's the broken places in my lives, my life. Lord, forgive my sins. You see the brokenness. I know you do. Would you bring healing and, and, and wholeness? In fact, this opportunity to get real and open and honest before him is exactly that. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation to come and say, God, you see the brokenness, bring healing. Brokenness precedes healing. Brokenness precedes healing. I don't need healing if I don't think I'm sick. If I think everything's okay, I'm not going to ask God to bring healing and forgiveness. But when I recognize that I am a broken vessel, there's an opportunity then for me to surrender and say, God, I depend on you. 
In fact, it's what we call repentance. God, I am so broken. My sin is a problem. But I'm coming to you and I'm asking forgiveness. I'm choosing to walk a different way. John Ortberg writes this in his book, Soul Keeping. He says this, as long as I keep pretending, my soul keeps dying. Oddly enough, I don't just pretend in front of other people. I pretend with God. My friend Scotty says that sometimes we ask for forgiveness, but we know full well we will go back and uh, do back to the same sin tomorrow. We don't really want forgiveness. We just want to get out of trouble. He says it would be better to pray like this. Dear God, I sinned yesterday. I sinned again today, and I'm planning to go out and do the same sin tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. It might not quite, quite reflect the maturity of thy will be done, but it is better to be an honest mess before God than a dishonest saint. That's powerful. It is better to be an honest mess before God than a dishonest saint. That God sees through the veneer. He sees through the, the, the facade, the walls that we've built. And it's better that we come to him and say, God, I need your forgiveness. He's okay with that. He can handle it. In fact, it's his great invitation to say, come in the midst of your brokenness. It's a picture of the father with the prodigal son welcoming him home. The prodigal didn't come back and say, God, father, I've, you know, I kind of made a couple of mistakes, but for the most part, it was a good time. You know, he comes and he says, I'm not even worthy to be one of your, your servants. And in that moment, the father embraces him. It's better to be an honest mess. Than with uh, before God than a dishonest saint. Again, I want to spend too much time on that, but it's so important for us to, to hear what the heart of Jesus is here. And then he says, for we also forgive everyone. And this is, this is where it gets a little, little difficult. God, I can ask for forgiveness in my life, but the expectation is that then I am extending forgiveness to those around me. It's this idea in scripture of blessing and cursing, that, that we're either blessing people or we're cursing them. And, and you might think, well, cursing like a, a, you know, I, I'm a, a witch or witchcraft, putting a curse on someone. But our words, the Bible says, carry power and that, that, that life and death is in, in the power of the tongue. And the things that we declare over people are either lifting them up and blessing them or tearing them down. And a curse is just something that is, that, that robs life, that detracts from life, that, that ceases to be life-giving. And, and so we're called to be people who walk in forgiveness, that we would, listen to this, that we would bless those in our lives with the gift of forgiveness in the same way that we have been blessed with forgiveness from the Father, that we would extend forgiveness in a way of blessing and as, as a gift to those around us. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, you have heard, it, uh, heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the, that's the rule, that's the law of the land. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Jesus here paints this clear picture saying this. God loves the righteous and the unrighteous. He even cares for their needs. That not even God rejects them. How much more that we should take this posture and say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate my enemies. I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna care for them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna love them. The, the early church, this passage out of Matthew 5, this this portion of scripture was the most quoted portion of scripture for the early church. For the first few hundreds of the church, this is the verse that they would default to. Partially because what they experienced was persecution beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. That their very lives were taken from them for the sake of the gospel. And as their lives were taken from them, their prayer was this, Lord, help me to love these people who are persecuting me, that are my enemies. I think we've lowered our bar for what an enemy is way down, and we've given ourselves permission to walk in an unloving way. But Jesus says we can't do that. We're called to walk in forgiveness and, and to walk in a posture of love. Paul echoes this in Romans 12, 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. But Paul says, bless those. And really that those two words are interchangeable. They're blessing and prayer. When we pray for people, we're blessing them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. See, withholding blessing is an indicator of our own brokenness. I want to say that again. Withholding blessing, even in in the blessing of praying for people or extending forgiveness, is an indicator of our own brokenness. And I would refer you to the last point, that in our brokenness, we have to come before the Lord and say, God, this is an area of brokenness and I need your forgiveness. I need you to bring healing in my life. See, we have to bring our broken selves to God. Then Jesus says this, lead us not into temptation. Again, a troublesome verse. Does God lead us into temptation? James tells us no, that God doesn't tempt and he cannot be tempted. And, and this is not the heart of God. See, God does not tempt us. And the way that this is interpreted and the way that we read it in English is, is a, it's, it's not interpreted in the best way or written in the, the best way. The heart here is this, and it's, it echoes the, the Jewish mindset would, would be this, God direct my steps away from temptation. God caused me to be a person whose eyes are so fixed on you that I'm walking away from the garbage, from the temptation, from the things and the traps of this world. So I, I want to, I want to call on the Lord to direct my steps. This is a plea. This is a plea to the Lord to sustain us. You don't have to go, go it alone. In fact, we get so caught up in uh, our temptations and our struggles that we feel like I've got to get this fixed before I come to God, which is the, the wrong way around. Jesus here is telling us, come to the Father, acknowledge his sovereignty, his goodness, ask for forgiveness, extend forgiveness, and then remember to, to rely on him to lead us. And we can bring those struggles to him and say, God, this is, a, this is an area of struggle for me. I need you to help me move away. God, direct my steps as I look to you. Help me identify the pitfalls. And so this is the prayer that Jesus gives them. It's the outline of this prayer. It's this this model of prayer. Not that we would just pray it just even as a rote prayer, but that we would understand the heart behind what Jesus was teaching because this is the way that Jesus prayed. 
These are the things that Jesus prayed. Now, of course, Jesus was without sin, but I imagine that as he came to the Father, that he kept that in check. Book of Hebrew tells us that Jesus was tempted the same way that we are, but he just never gave into it. And a big part of that is that he always was in the presence of the Father, centering and, and, and focusing himself in the presence of the Father. So this is the first part, the prayer. But I want to move on to the second part of this story. Jesus gives them this outline, and then he gives them a story which I love. Jesus tells the best stories. If you've not read the Gospels, read the Gospels. Jesus tells some pretty phenomenal stories. And there's a little bit of irony, a little sarcasm, a little of humor that is kind of weaved into this. And so listen for that. So, so Jesus tells this parable of two men. I'm going to read verse 5 through 8 again. He says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him and, at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine was on a journey and has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are, and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give you, get up and give you as much as you need. I want you to understand a little bit of the culture here. See, the rules of that culture dictated that when a guest came into your home, that you would welcome them, that you would feed them, that you would give them a place to stay. And that wasn't just a rule for an individual. It was for the community. The whole village would welcome a guest into their presence. So Jesus is speaking directly to a cultural norm that would have been familiar to everyone that was listening to his story. That's why he says, well, suppose... And suppose, because they could have very easily put themselves in the position of either of those people. So what's happening? It's late. It's midnight, which for us, maybe you're a night person like me and you're like, hey, midnight's no big deal. But remember, this is pre-electricity. When the sun went down, there was usually one small oil lamp in the, in the room. Everyone, these homes were not multi-bedroom homes. Uh, everyone stayed in one room on mats on the floor. And so a knock at the door at midnight mean, means that the lamp was probably already out. The children were asleep, which we know that because that's his response. The door would have been locked with some kind of heavy bar, which means that if you had to lift that off the door, it would have woken up everyone in the house. And, and they would have been sleeping already for a few hours and now there's this knock at the door this neighbor that comes and says hey these people have showed up I, I don't have any bread I can't run to this store there's no convenience store there's not going to be a place for me to get bread until tomorrow but I have to because of the rules of the culture I have to take care of these people who've just come to my home they're traveling at night because it's hot during the day they've come a long way they're they're weary and they're hungry and so he goes and he knocks because of the obligation. So there's two parts that we need to see in the midst of this. The first is this, the, the boldness of the one asking. The, the neighbor who, that comes to, to the other neighbor and starts knocking. The one who had the guests show up. There's a boldness on his part. But then there's the compliance of the neighbor in giving the bread. That he gives him what he needs. And uh, his compliance to the rules, to the laws of the land, even though it's inconvenient. And, and really, both of these are important parts. They go hand in hand in understanding. So let's take a look at the boldness in prayer. Here's the context. Jesus is given instructions to pray. This is still part of 
this context. Jesus has been asked by the disciples, how should we pray? Teach us to pray. And so he gives them the model. And then he says, hey, let me tell you a story to illustrate it. And he says this. So I say to you, um, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus says to them, listen, the, the first neighbor goes, the man who has the guest goes and he starts knocking and he just keeps knocking and, and he's not going to give up. And his neighbor realizes this guy's not going away. Now, even there's the cultural expectation. He's hoping that at the first knock, maybe he'll just leave. Maybe it'll be okay. I don't want to have to wake my kids up. This is going to be a huge inconvenience. But the man keeps knocking and there's this boldness that Jesus points out and he says, you got to keep asking. You got to keep seeking and you got to keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Don't, don't just ask once. If that man had just gone not quietly and no answer and then gone back there, he wouldn't have been able to take care of his guests in the manner uh, that he had expected. And it sounds like these guests kind of showed up unexpectedly. You ever had that happen? I mentioned earlier that we live life by moments. And sometimes the moments, even the moment that we're in as a nation and, and, and as a world right now, is not a moment that we expected, yet it's where we are. Sometimes things happen outside of the norm. And so he goes and he knocks and he says, I got to take care of this. And so Jesus says, be like this man keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. And he says, everyone, notice this, everyone, not some, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone knocks, has the, who knocks has the door open. Remember, this is Jesus. This is God speaking. Here's a promise wrapped up in this passage. This is a part of the understanding the heart of God. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone knocks. Who knocks has the door opened. But the question for us is, do we ask, do we seek, and do we knock? Is that a regular part of our lives in the, in the, in the 21st century, in this modern age that we live in? Do we ask, do we seek, do we knock? And when, do, when we do, what do we ask for? What are you asking for in prayer? What are you looking for? What are you seeking what are you, and, and where are you knocking? What doors are you knocking on? See, what the Lord is saying here, Jesus is, is saying to us, and what he said to his disciples, is that we shouldn't be praying off the cuff, on a whim kind of prayers. It's like the, it's the, life, it's the life preserver prayer, where we find ourselves drowning and then go, help, I need help. That there's an intentionality to the prayer. There's an understanding of what the need is, and then there's a persistence. And so we, we need to move away from prayers that are off the cuff and to, to prayers that are intentional, prayers that are specific, prayers that are consistent and persistent. In fact, Jesus shares a bunch of parables that, that are, I call them the persistent parables, the, the, the widow with the, the, the woman with the lost coin, the, the father who keeps looking for his son, the, the, the shepherd with the lost sheep, and, and on and on it goes. That there is this, this persistence that we see Jesus reference in his parables, that we would be consistent and persistent in prayer. That our prayers would be interse- have an interceding nature, prayers of intercession, not just 
Lord, bless me. In fact, it's rare that we just see the focus of God just bless me, even though that God does want to bless you. It's prayer for others. Are we interceding for others? I have this map of the world behind me today. Do we pray for the world? Are we praying for the people around the world who need to know Jesus? Are our prayers kingdom-minded for salvation? Are we praying, contending for the salvation of our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers? Are we praying for wholeness and healing in people's lives and in communities and for our world? Are we praying for reconciliation? I mean, not like, Lord, if, if you can bring reconciliation, that'd be great. But seeking, asking, knocking, being persistent to keep knocking on that door. Dallas Willard wrote this. He said, if you want, if you want to really experience the flow of love as never before, the next time you are in a competitive, competitive situation around work or a relationship or whose kids are the highest achieving or looks or whatever, pray that the others around you will be more outstanding, more praised, and more used of God than yourselves. Let me read that again. Pray that the others around you will be more outstanding, more praised, and more used of God than yourself. Really pull for them and rejoice in their success. If Christians were universally to do this for each other, the earth would, be, would soon be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. I love that. This is the kind of prayer that we need to be praying that we would, and I love the, the, spe the specificity of this. If you find yourself being in a competitive situation, comparing and being competitive is a killer for the Christian soul. That when we find that pressing on ourselves to say, you know what, I'm going to pray for that person to succeed, for them to excel, for them to be used, and then celebrate that, the freedom that that would bring. I love that. We need to be praying those kinds of prayers. Church, there's power in prayer and we need to engage. We need to be persistent. We need to be that, like that man saying, I have a need and I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to stop seeking. I'm not going to uh, stop knocking or, or looking for the answer to that prayer. See, what God does, it's not just about what we want. It's about what God does us in prayer, in, uh, in us through prayer, rather, that we need to surrender. But now let's talk about, as I close, about the neighbor. The neighbor. See, this man gets up and finally gives his friend, his neighbor, what he needs. And I already mentioned that part of why he did it was out of the obligation. He does it to fulfill a commitment, a community commitment, to care for those that, that come into their community, even though it would be midnight. And what we see here is the goodness of the Father, God's commitment to us. Now, the analogy breaks down, and we have to acknowledge that, that God is, doesn't live in a small room with children sleeping on a mat. And Jesus knows this, so he, he draws the parallel, but asks the question, how much more later on to, to bring that distinction? He says, which of, your if you, of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Which of you fathers? Here's the irony here. 
Jesus is being sarcastic because he knows the answer. No, no father, if his son asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake. Now, remember, this is Galilee. They're fishermen. They're sitting probably within, you know, sight line uh, of, of the Sea of Galilee. There's probably fishing boats that they're looking at. And, and all of these fishermen would have been, he said, you know what? There's no way because snakes would have been common too in the hills and the mountains around that region. No, I'm not going to give my son a snake if he asks for a fish. And if he asks for an egg, no, I'm not going to give him a scorpion. It, that would be ridiculous. The answer is obvious. And Jesus says, well, how then you who are evil, that you're born into evil, you're born into a world that, that is not righteous, that is not redeemed, that is not good. How do you, how, if, that, if that's the way you know how to give good, good, good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven, who is perfect, who is majestic, who knows your needs before you even know what your own needs are, how much more will God give you the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that in just a second. See, God is true to his word. He is a good father. See, we can come to God, God boldly in prayer, not because our boldness changes his mind or convinces him one way or another, or God's like impressed, like, oh my goodness, I got to give you what you want because you have such great faith. See, our faith is not in our faith. That we can come boldly to God in prayer because of the faithfulness of God. It's his faithfulness. I put my faith in God. I put my trust in God because he is faithful and he is trustworthy. And I can come boldly because I know he's not going to turn me away. He's not going to reject me. That he will hear me. He will receive me. He will answer my prayer. And so Jesus says, if you come, how much more? Will he give you the Holy Spirit? How much more will he give you? Why the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus end that way? It's this. It's Jesus is saying this. God, I want the fullness of your presence. Father, I want to have a relationship with you. Jesus, I want to be in, in communion with you. And I want the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. God, I want the fullness of who you are in my life all that he is, as represented by the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, as the temples of God, that we would be filled to overflowing with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Life to the full, life overflowing. When we come, God says, I will give to everyone who asks, everyone who seeks, everyone who knocks. I will meet them and I will give. So let me ask you today, are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Because you can come boldly because he is faithful. Fix your eyes on him. Give him the glory and the honor that he is due. Get real with God. Church, get real with him. Get honest. God, this is where I'm at. Cry out to him and allow those things that are, are just wrapped up inside of your heart and soul, those things that, that pain you, give them to him. Cast your cares on him. Be real, be broken, and let him bring healing. And then keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. And just over a week, we're going to be uh, sending out uh, our next phase of the God is Lectio Divina journal. And maybe you've not noticed, but there's a section on in that journal for prayer requests. And I'm going to actually add a few pages in this. My encouragement to you is this. 
write down your prayers, be specific. If you're praying for a family member, write down their name, write down what you're asking for and keep referring back to it daily. Just keep going back and praying those prayers and praying those prayers and praying those prayers. And then there's a place for Thrive Stories, answered prayers. When those prayers are answered, make note of it. Here's, here's how and when God answered those prayers. Now, the Bible says that we need to pray with thankfulness before we know what the answer is, because we know that God is faithful. But this is a way for us to become super intentional about our prayer lives to follow the model of Jesus, to press in in prayer, to be persistent, to be shamelessly audacious. Oh, it just sounds so good. That we would be shamelessly audacious when we come to our Father because He loves us. He loves you and wants to answer those prayers and care for you and be a blessing through your life. Let's pray as we close. Jesus, thank you for teaching us to pray. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you, Lord, that when the disciples asked that you didn't brush them off, but that you modeled for them and walked them through what prayer could and should look like in our lives. And Lord, even sharing the story that you did to help us fully grasp, or at least grasp a little bit more, the opportunity we have in prayer. Lord, lead us to be people of prayer, to press in, that we would have the same heart as the disciples Jesus, teach us to pray that we would be a people of prayer before anything else. Jesus, that we would follow the example of your life, that we would withdraw often to quiet places to pray, to be with the Father, to have communion with the Son, to be filled with the Spirit. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.